Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. All right, I am here today with Anne Graham, and she is going to tell us all about her story. Anne, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So can you take us back to the beginning? When did your cancer journey start? Uh, my cancer journey started before I know before I knew it was a cancer journey. It was January 2010, and I was training for a marathon, which was taking place in June, and my leg kept hurting, and my a sports medicine doctor uh, that I went to said, uh, well, she diagnosed me as being 43 and a runner, and <laughs> said, listen, you just gotta, like, <laughs> you got to just, you know, settle down a little bit and, like, don't train so hard. What part Maybe of your leg was hurting you exactly? Uh, top of my tibia. Okay. All right. So just sort of at the bottom of my knee. So I went in that first time and I was like, it hurts right here. It's actually hot. Maybe I have a blood clot. Like, I'm kind of concerned. Right. I don't think it's just that I'm 43 and a runner. And she was like, nope. And she didn't, she didn't, my doctor didn't even look at my leg. She was just like, you just really need to settle down. So over the next nine months, I was misdiagnosed with being 43 and a runner. Um, oh my gosh. Compartment syndrome. You need orthotics. You're running on the wrong side of the road. You're training too hard. Uh, stress fracture, et cetera, et cetera. Did anyone do scans, For anything during that nine months? <laughs> well, yes, she actually did an x-ray at one point because I kept going in and going, it hurts right here. It's a very specific pain. Right. And to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, you know, I would, the pain was greatest at night and it would wake me up and like the wake up, like, <gasps> you know, and try not to scream that scream yeah. because everybody's sleeping. And I'd just be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It was so painful. But then I'd wake up and I'd be okay and, you know, kind of talk myself out of going to the doctor. And then it would happen the next, you know, the next night. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to the doctor. And then it would be fine during the day. So it was sort of a weird, it was sort of a weird thing. But as it turns out, this is the hallmark of this type of cancer, that it's really bad at night. So, uh, yeah, so she she did an x-ray at one point. And now looking back at that x-ray, you can see the the top of the tumor because she was convinced it was it was my mid tibia. And she kept saying, nope, your knee is referred pain. This is not this is not pain in your pain. This is pain in your mid tibia. So she did an x-ray of my mid tibia. And then there it was at the top of the x-ray. So finally, I had had a really um, physically demanding day at work. And the next morning, I couldn't stand up. Oh, no. So I, at that point, was diagnosed as a stress fracture and had crutches and a boot. So I crutched into her office and I, and I did not have an appointment. And <laughs> This is wildly out of character for me. Like I'm an appointment and agenda person. 
it's it is my love language and uh, <laughs> mine too. <laughs> like, I like crutched into this office and went, I, I needed I need an MRI. How long and had you like, been in a boot at that point? Uh, a month. A month. A month in a boot on my leg, which I'll come back to that. I'll come back right. to that in a second. But, but she, um, she said, "Oh yeah, you know your insurance." And I have great insurance, by the way. Like, and she goes, "Your insurance isn't going to cover it." And I said, "You know what? Don't care. Right. I will write you a check right now." And I will bet you my insurance covers it. And so she finally relented and said, okay, we'll get an MRI. So I went to get the MRI. I was in that MRI machine in and out for three and a half hours. And they kept bringing in more experts. And I was like, this doesn't seem very good. Like this, what? No, <laughs> why, why aren't they just- I've never had an MRI <laughs> last three and a half hours. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it was an in and out and, it, you know, listen, I've got to go to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> I need some water like this. So it wasn't just like laying there for three and a half hours, but it was a long journey in that MRI. And at the end of it, the radiology tech put his hand on my shoulder and said, um, okay, you need to go see your doctor. And it was by this time, it's like six o'clock at night. And I said, okay thanks, you know, see, and, she, and he goes, no, she's waiting for you now. Oh, and I'm like, but it's, but it's, it's six, it's six o'clock. I don't, I don't know that that's anyway. So I crutched into that, into her office. Everybody was gone. The lights were down. Same doctor. I, same doctor. Her back was to me and I saw her computer screen and I go, is that my leg? And she, I didn't even give her a chance to answer. Cause I go, cause that's cancer. That's cancer. And that, and I left. I, she didn't. She didn't even speak. You could tell she from started to go the scan on her computer. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. You, well, you know what an X-ray looks like, mm -hmm. right? And like it's sort of grays and you know, you know, low white, mm -hmm. like low white. It's mostly gray. This was like a white. It looked like the state of South Carolina <laughs> at the at the top of my tibia. So I was like, yeah, that's. There's no way that's not cancer. How is that not cancer? I mean, it, I just was like, that's cancer. And I left. I was just like, I was scared. I was exhausted with her. I just couldn't, there was nothing else to talk about. I didn't want to hear anymore. What kind of doctor so, was she? Good question. Nobody ever asked me that. She was a DO. Okay. So they operate as you know, MDs and their doctors, they're, you know, they're trained medical professionals for sure. But she is a DO, which is an osteopath, mm -hmm. which, you know, high, um, high likelihood if you're seeing a sports medicine doctor, you know, not a surgeon, right. but like you're, you know, a physician, that's a, that's a uh, sports medicine doctor. They are likely a DO okay. or they are off. I was going to let her off the hook here, but no. She specializes yeah. in bones. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, that, you know, yeah, in large part, um, yeah. So she, she actually, I, <laughs> it was cancer, which that was its own journey to getting to that point. But don't uh, skip that. Eventually, don't skip that. You left the office. Yeah. What happened <laughs> next? Because the, the I love the details. Part. Yeah, I love the details. So, oh what did you do? So, oh my gosh. So my, so many things. So my husband was pretty, 
upset. He go, you know, he knew when I told him when I when I first went to see her that she didn't even look at my leg or touch my leg or feel how hot it was when I was saying it's it's hot in this spot. And he was like, you got to switch doctors. Yeah. Like his thing was like, you got, you got to switch this out. So when this happened, actually when I was driving to, so when I was driving to her office from the MRI, I called him and I go, and I had to drive past my house where I have three daughters at home. I had to drive past my house back to her office. And I was driving past my house. I called, called my husband and I said, okay, something's wrong. And uh, my voice sort of, you know, wavered. And I've had three really difficult pregnancies and he knew that voice. And so he goes, where, where are you now? I said, I'm headed to the doctor. He goes, I'll see you there. So when I left her office, I was leaving. And when I was leaving, going to my car, he met me right outside. He was like dashing in and I just like, he just grabbed me and I was just like, you know, it's, it's cancer. It's cancer. I know I can tell it's cancer. And he goes, all right, we're just going to like one step at a time. So the next day the office called me and said, uh, this is a type of thing that you're, you know, you're going to need a specialist, um, to have a look at this. So they referred me to a doctor. This was in upstate New York. That was about an hour away. And I went to see that doctor and, this did not go well, his, this appointment. We were there a half hour early and, you know, told the told the receptionist and everything. They thought we were an hour late, but we were waiting there. Like, and I kept going to the desk and going, what's happening? And so there was that sort of debacle in the beginning. And we came with the disc, with the x-ray or with the MRI. And uh, he couldn't get it to work when we finally got oh, on the table in the paper gown, he couldn't get it to work. So he came in and he was very cranky. And he was like, I just can't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what kind of software they're using here, but this isn't working. And I've got to call an IT guy. And he'd like storm out. <laughs> have to IT guy. And I'm like sitting on a table in a paper gown going, I just need to know like what's, what's going on. Right. And so he comes back with an IT guy, spends probably 20 minutes trying to get the thing up. Oh and finally he goes, he goes, okay, well, listen, I think we're going to have to, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to schedule you for surgery. Um, and this is on a Tuesday. He goes, I'm going to schedule you for Thursday on a, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we got to go in and we got to do a biopsy. And I'm like, okay, thanks. And we like left and we're walking out the door and I go, he's not touching me. And my husband goes, yeah, no way. So oddly, <laughs> oddly, we're, we're driving back home and a friend of mine calls from New York City and she goes, I just said hello. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Wow. And she heard it in the hello. She heard it. And she got, so I told her, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you heard that. Like I was really trying to be <laughs> like, totally, I was trying to be really smooth, but like, I'm like kind of freaking out. I, this is what's happening and I don't know where to go. And she goes, can you get down to New York city tomorrow morning? And I go, yeah. She goes, okay, Sloan Kettering, you just walk in the door. I, I got you. Like th- 
you walk in the door, they're going to know, you just tell them who you are and they're going to take care of you. So I went the next morning and met my surgeon, who who's now my dear friend and surgeon. And it was completely opposite after nine months of misdiagnosis. And then this odd, like almost supernaturally weird appointment at this, you know, specialist uh, I'm, I'm sitting on the, sitting on the table waiting for him to come in. He comes in, he's a big man. He's coming in with like three fellows who are all, you know, or orthopedic oncology fellows. And he sits on a stool that is so low. So he's now lower than me. And he puts his hand on my knee and he goes, tell me what's going on. And I was like, and I just started crying and I couldn't even, I could not speak. Mm -hmm. So I looked at my husband and he goes, okay, here's the story. But it was now I looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, why was I crying? I finally had somebody listening to me, but it was that I finally had somebody listening to me. Yeah. And, and in such a, you know, Memorial Sloan Kettering, like it's a huge institution. Everybody's very kind as you walk in. There's these three fellows like that follow him in and in addition to his nurse. So now I have five people who are waiting to hear like what's going on. And he said, okay, I've seen your MRI. We're in danger of, and this is back to that original thing with the boot with osteosarcoma. It's, this is not a marrow cancer. This is a bone cancer. Right. So your body, your cells are creating more bone material. So it creates this really weak, unstable bony matrix. So if you look at it, if you look at a at an x-ray or if you look at a bone that had osteosarcoma, it's sort of spiny and it's super unstable. So it, if it breaks, your outcome ch significantly changes wow. because you've broke and basically like a beehive right. of like bad cells. And that's a great my, analogy. My, my, it's very descriptive. Yeah. <laughs> we also called the, the dandelion. Yeah. You, you just you really can't disturb it because otherwise you've just got these weeds kind of growing everywhere. That's my non-medical, uh, that's my yeah. non-medical description of it. But um, so when I was in a boot, you know, I'm, I'm carrying, I'm lifting this boot and like trying to walk around with this boot. It was actually causing more stress on that. So he said, I've looked at your MRI. He said, I, we're in danger of this breaking. And so I'm going to admit you and we're going to do a um, biopsy tomorrow under general anesthesia. And that, that was the start. Wow. That was the start it sounds like he was yeah. incredibly compassionate. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I am um, friends with somebody who does a, a medical school. He has a medical school and it's about, it's, it is about the science, but it's about the science of compassion. And when we've talked about this story, he goes, this is, this is, this is the model. What Dr. Healy does is actually the model of what you need to do. Um, and he did it, he did it beautifully. And I'm like, I, I know that without knowing that, like now, you know, thanks for affirming it because it was finally somebody who, you know, sitting lower than me mm -hmm. was, was a big thing and touching my knee, 
you know, where the pain was, that was appropriate touch. Right. And it was acknowledgement. It, it was acknowledgement. Yes, 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 yes. Wow. Yeah. So that, yeah. So you have a biopsy the next day. You wake up mm -hmm. from general anesthesia. What happens? Mm -hmm. So when I woke up in recovery, my husband and my doctor were standing there and I like standing next to my bed. And so I woke up and I'm like, Hey, like, and I kind of smile and they were both looking so grim and I go, what's going on? And my doctor was, his voice was shaking. He goes, and you have osteosarcoma. And my husband was just silent and like holding my hand. And I was like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? And yeah, I, I found out, found out not too, not too long after. So you knew going into surgery that it was cancer, but then you wake up and hear osteosarcoma. What did you know about that kind of cancer? So I didn't. I didn't know much. Of course, I went to Dr. Google, like we all do, and go, what is this pain in my leg? And, you know, the big outlier thing, because I was 43, was osteoarthritis. I was like, you know, this is a possibility, but listen, you're too old, is what Dr. Google was saying, to have this disease. So I, what I, what I knew looking at that, what I knew looking at that x-ray was more what I believed. It was less about what I actually knew. I just looked at that and I went, that's cancer. So once we were in this space and we're driving down to New York City, I'm Googling and it turns out it could be a giant cell tumor. It could, you know, there are other things that it could be other than cancer. So what I actually knew versus what I believed is when I was waiting to go into surgery, they were going over the logistics of it and saying, okay, so this is a, you know, uh, an open biopsy. So we're going to go in, we're going to see what this tumor is while you're on the table, we're going to send it to pathology. And if it turns out that it's a benign tumor, we're going to take out that, we're going to take it out or a giant, you know, giant cell tumor or something like that. We're going to take it out and we're going to, you know, uh, stitch you up and, and send you home and, you know, we'll see how we go. Like should, everything should be good after that. If it's cancer, we're just, we're going to take that one piece out. We're going to, um, once we figure that out, we are not going to, we're going to leave it. We're going to sew you back up. We're going to, uh, put you into chemotherapy for three months. Then we're going to go in and we're going to remove all the cancerous material, including a lot of your leg and a lot of the bones in your leg. And, uh, and then you go on, you go on for more chemotherapy. So <laughs> of course you're like, okay, wait, back up to that part about moving a lot of my bones and possibly my leg. Like, <laughs> can you just, let's talk about that. <laughs> so, wow. So we did. Yeah. Okay. So did, did you start chemotherapy right away? Right away. Right away. Was, what was the yeah. goal of chemotherapy? Was it to shrink the tumor? Mm -hmm. The goal was to shrink it, get it under control as much as possible, cause as much necrosis to the bone as possible. And then at the time of surgery, 
they, are you still going, going, okay, what, you know, the goal is to remove as much as possible, but keep as much healthy bone as possible. Of course. So for me, that, that meant limb salvage surgery where they take out a big section. Mine was at the, you know, bottom of my, top of my tibia, bottom of my knee. So that meant a full knee replacement, uh, top of my tibia replacement. And then I also had some skip lesions on my femur. So they took a lot of my femur. Okay. Well, you jumped way ahead. All right. So yeah. before you had that surgery, that crazy surgery, you had three months mm -hmm. of chemotherapy. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, it was, it was tough. It, it was really tough because it, the chemotherapy that you have for this type of cancer is combination. We used to call it a mocktail, but not as it's mocktail. Cause it's not as fun as a cocktail. Right. <laughs> so it was, you, you get a port, you get a port placed and it's not a, you know, usually it looks sort of like a port looks like a pin cushion and one, you know, tube goes up through your jugular, one goes through your heart. And the, the port that they gave me was a dual port. Oh, I've seen those. So, yeah, like a double lumen. Yeah. Yeah. Or a Y yeah. port. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it would look like this. And uh, so they could run two chemotherapies at one time. And these drugs were cisplatinum, <sighs> doxorubicin, iphosphamide, and high-dose methotrexate. So there's four chemotherapies that are happening. You start off with this combination of three and different combinations over the over a period of three months. And the chemotherapy the chemotherapy was it was tough. Like it was it was tough. Uh, it, was that inpatient because of because that I, was because I'm familiar with two so of those. So So they have a different approach at, at Sloan Kettering and they want you to go home. They want you to be out of the hospital as much as possible. Right. So I would be in the hospital for an eight to 10 hour infusion. And then I'd get a backpack that had my uh, fluids and my whatever other drugs that I needed to run shotgun on, on the chemotherapy. And I'd go home with the backpack. Wow. And then you hang your backpack up and then you go back in the next morning. So it was mostly you're inpatient. Well, I'm, I'm kind of using the word wrong, but you are in the hospital for the infusion and then you go home and sleep at night and then you come back. Got it. Got it. You mentioned you have yeah. three daughters. How old were they when this occurred? Oh gosh, I always have to do the math. Uh, my youngest one was seven. My middle one was 11. And my oldest one was 17. So first of all, very spread out, by the way, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. old enough to remember and understand. Oh, yeah. They also had the harrowing experience of my husband having cancer, who's also a marathoner, by the way, uh, three years prior. No. What kind of cancer yeah. did he yeah. have? head and neck. So my husband was on a, a chemotherapy, a radi 45 minutes of radiation a day. Not like it took 45 minutes, but like 45 minutes targeted wow. at his, you know, with the mask screwed to the table um, kind of thing. 
radiation, chemotherapy. He had a feeding tube because you can't take anything by mouth. The, the whole surgery, like the whole thing. So they they really suffered through, we all did, suffered greatly through my husband's cancer. You know, the whole family suffers from it, right? Absolutely. It's not just the person getting the chemotherapy. It's, it's really the whole family. And I'm going to say something maybe a bit odd. I, having been the patient and the caregiver, the patient suffers in two ways. They suffer because all the obvious things, right? right? You, you can see it. You know, you've got no hair. All of the, yeah, all of the physical manifestations of suffering are there. There's another thing that the patient suffers that's, I, I think nobody talks about, but it's a thing. The hardest thing you go through, and you go through a lot with going through cancer, and then especially when you're looking at losing your leg or, you know, some of these other, like a really aggressive um, regimen, the hardest thing that you go through is looking at your family or looking at somebody who loves you and seeing the pain that you're causing them. And so you, as a patient, are really sick, you're in pain, and you're trying to cover that up. You're trying to lessen that as much as possible so that you don't cause more suffering. You're constantly playing the I'm okay game. Yeah. Totally. I'm, I'm totally fine. Low, no, no, no. I got it. I'm, you know, I, I don't worry about it. I'm good. Yeah. I slept great. Like, <laughs> so you're, you're constantly in that space of trying to improve things that your, simul your disease is simultaneously destroying. Yeah. You know, I am going to say, because I've interviewed so many people now that that might be a little more specific to women. And then of course, just individuals, because many patients I've interviewed have said that the caregiver had the harder job uh, mm -hmm. because they were balancing so many things and their job was just to focus on getting well. So if, if you felt the need to play the okay game, which I love, um, I love that phrasing of it. Um, I, I don't know that every patient goes through that necessarily. Um, but, but I can see why, especially women, I mean, we're caregivers, we are yeah. we're natural caregivers. So to be mm -hmm. on the opposite end of that can be a little difficult. I know my husband played that game and I could see it. He was, he couldn't eat, you know, he had to, he had a feeding tube for heaven's sakes. He went to work every single day. And I think that was in part for his own, and he was building, he's a hotel guy. He was literally building a hotel like construction site at the, at the wow. property every single day. He said it simultaneously saved him, like saved his mental well-being. Right. But it, it was, I know it was in part, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at work. Yeah. Like I got this. And if he could get himself to, you know, there was sort of this little, we lived in a rural area as well in upstate New York. There was a van that took cancer patients to, um, the next biggest city because they had the um, IMRT labor uh, late, um, radiation. You know they had more advanced radiation than we had in our in our little town. So this little this van went every day, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not getting on a van. I'm taking you. Are you kidding me? Like this already sucks enough. You want to get on a van with people? Like 
anyway, he, so I know he, and he is the person who like, I don't want to stay at anybody's house. We're going to get in a hotel. Like he doesn't like being with other people in this like kind of intimate way, you know, where you're sharing a ride, you're sharing a house, you're sharing a whatever. And he was like, nope. So back to you, you get through three months of chemotherapy and we're going to come back to your daughters too. And now you've got this surgery and tell us about the surgery again. And, you know, I mean, what was the, I hate this question, but what was the prognosis? Like, was the thinking that you're going to need assistance with walking? Are you actually losing a big part of your femur? You know, tell us about that. Yeah, I lost, well, 80% of my leg is titanium now. So if you look at my leg, I have a giant scar, but I have, you know, about this much of the bottom of my tibia that's untouched and about the same at the top of my femur. And the rest is uh, a custom made endoprosthetic that's attached to like an artificial knee. And uh, there's, I have donor tendon you know, an allograft is made of cadaver bone and, and you're, it's, it's an extraordinary operation. It was How 16 long? hours. <gasps> Whoa. Say that again, because people might have missed 16, it. 16 hour surgery. Oh my God. So the first yeah. part of the surgery is to get the cancer out, right? Is the second part of the surgery to put that titanium and the knee and all that in. Yeah. It's all done in one surgery. It's all done in one surgery in one very long day. Crazy. Yeah. What were the expectations that were set with you after this surgery in terms of rehab and being able to walk and, 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 you know, future treatment? So there was actually an expectation set at the beginning of surgery. And it was with this type of surgery, it's called limb salvage surgery. You will not be able to run anymore. You can't run anymore. Uh, you can't squat, you know, here are the, all you can't like kneel. Um, you can't bend past a certain, like bar stools are not my friend. Like (laughs) I'm not sitting on a bar stool anymore because you can't bend your, you know, put your foot back behind your knee so much. I have, I have pretty good range of motion, but uh, yeah, not, (laughs) it's not, it's not, it's not a regular leg. It's not a regular leg. So how did that make you feel knowing that you're a runner? Oh, so I, in all my (laughs) ignorance said, oh no, I'm still going to run. Like (laughs) I'm still going to run. Like, and at the beginning, you know, my doctor was like, my doctor was very, my, so there's two, there's a surgeon and there's the clinic, you know, the clinician who is the hematology oncology specialist. Right. And he was like, listen, you can't, you're not going to be able to work. You need to be on disability. You're, you know, many times you're not going to be able to lift your head off the pillow. I'm like, yeah, um, you don't know me. I love my job. I love my life. Like, I'm not going to stop being me because of this thing. What was your job at the time? I had a couple jobs in addition to being a mom um, and and a wife. I was the director of sales and marketing for a luxury hotel group. And I also had a floral and event design company on the side and, you know, had, yeah, you were busy that. And 
oh my gosh, I was, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculously busy. So, but I don't know. I also seem to put myself in that position all the time. I think I like it. <laughs> I think I like being that kind of busy, but, uh, the other thing that my my surgeon said, you know, preparing me for limb salvage surgery is he said, if we get in there and this and there are, you know, skip lesions or there's, a, you know, more cancer higher up, we might have to amputate. So no going in, you know, this is, this is a possibility. Wow. So it was a lot of like, no, no, no. I'm, you know, I, I got this. We're, we're going to be good. Uh, so talk <laughs> about when you yeah. woke up. And how you felt, and 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 I imagine there's rehab. What did that look like? So, um, physical therapy is an ongoing concern. This is so. My first surgery was December thirtieth, two thousand ten, and you're in some form of the process of recovering. I'm going to say at all times. So I was at physical therapy yesterday because I had a revision to my limb salvage surgery because it broke um, on July 7th. So I had that whole surgery, like opening up that big scar again, going in, repairing parts. Um, I tell my my kids, I'm like, um, any piece of mechanical equipment, it needs to go in for parts and labor every once in a while. So you're constantly in this space of like, uh, surgery, recovery, physical therapy. It's, I don't think I've ever really been out of it. So when you say it broke, you're talking about this past July, 2022, because we're mm -hmm. recording this in 2023. Yeah. Okay. That's very recent. <laughs> and, and yeah. how did you even know it broke? I mean, what the heck happened? Oh, you know, <laughs> you know, you know. But like, it's also, I'm saying that I like, I know, but the problem is, is the doctor does not know. And here's why the part, there's a part at the top of your tibia, bottom of your knee, that's a polyethylene disc. And this is a really important part of the whole endoprosthetic because that's end of any knee replacement because that's kind of what, what your, so if this is your knee and this is that polyethylene, it sort of, you know, right, that helps grinds against right. it sort of is like the buffer and that, that polyethylene cannot be seen on an x-ray, oh. but that is typically what breaks. So this last one, I was hiking with my daughter and I, when I hike, I sh really should qualify that. For everybody else that's hiking, for me, it's walking in the woods with poles. <laughs> so I'm I'm walking in the woods with poles with my daughter, and I my foot hit sort of a you know one of those impossibly perfectly rat. It was almost like a toilet paper roll, mm -hmm. sort of a branch. It was about that that big, and it uh, my left leg is my limb salvage leg. My left leg hit that and rolled out. And somehow my foot ended up over here by my hip and I couldn't, that was it. Like you can't, I can't walk. Oh my God. So, and we were in the woods. What did you do? So my daughter, I think good. And I usually I'm walking in the woods with poles by myself. This time I was with my daughter and she, she ran home and got my husband and, you know, he came down with a car and like went as far as he could in the woods with the car. And then 
came and got me. But, you know, when immediately, you know, your leg is swollen and all of the things like a regular leg, but then you go and to the, to get an x-ray and the ex, the radiologist report is everything looks great. Everything looks great, but it's not, I know it's not great. I can hear it clicking. Yeah. If I go swimming, it's like, you can actually hear it underwater going, you know, when you're That's kicking, wild. it's, it's mud actually makes your stomach kind of turn. <laughs> But they really don't know until they go in and do surgery. And sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's not. And so they really have to make, as a surgeon, you really have to make a a, a call right. on this thing. And often if you go in and say, this thing is broken, I've got a problem, they're going to be like, well, okay, you know, let's let's take a look at it in another month. So in the meantime, you're on crutches again. Like crutches are your friend. Like I can never get rid of my crutches. Wow. Because they're, you know, you, you're going to need it. You're going to need them. So, wow. yeah, it's an, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing thing. And then I remember telling him too, I was like, well, let's just amputate. And then I can get a C leg and, you know, a, a blade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Eyes are amazing. Amputees that, and yeah. they can run. I was like, <laughs> I can, totally. I'm like, I can, I can still run. Like, we'll get that. And he goes, yeah. Um, you're 43 and that's, you can't, um, no, the insurance won't pay for it. Um, that's, it's about $40,000 a year. He's like, you could get a, you could get a C leg or you could, you could uh, buy a, a new BMW every year for the, <laughs> I'm like, what is that just the maintenance on that kind I'll, of prosthetic? It's, that's what it costs to get it. And then you're not done. You need adjustments all the time. That will break. You, you know. Wow. So he said it's not. It's it's really not sustainable. And the other thing he said is, uh, he goes, "You see your crutches over there?" I go, "Yes." And he goes, uh, "How do you like them?" And I go, "I hate my crutches. Like it's a love hate relationship. Sure. Like I need them, but I hate them." And he goes, "If we amputate." your crutches are a part of your life every day. And I go, what do you No, I'll have a prosthetic leg. And he said, well, what happens when you need to get up in the middle of the night? You're going to put your whole leg on. That's, that's probably a 20 minute process. You know, you need your crutches to get to the kitchen or get to the bathroom or whatever. If you're like relaxing, watching TV, you're not going to want this prosthetic on. It's a, it's a piece of equipment that you have to right. wear. So you know, it's not, it's not what you think right. it is. It's, it's not the fix. It's not a fix. Wow. It's a difficult thing. And, and now I know, because I know a lot of people with prosthetic legs now and they're constantly, you know, it hurts. It's my sockets. You know, if you lose a little weight, if you gain a little weight. Yeah. It wouldn't know, fit properly. Different. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. Oh gosh. Okay. I'm going to go back to one of your daughters real quick and then move on. Your daughter's with you when this happens. Uh, which daughter is this? Um, how old was she? Because this was so recent. And, and yeah. how, what was her reaction? Oh, uh, I mean, I think they all have some PTSD around me and my leg and like falling. But what about this time so hiking? <laughs> like your daughter was right there yeah. with you. No, it's, yeah, but it's like a pre-PTSD that they 
<laughs> so they like whenever we're walking on ice or any, you know, or in snow, they're like holding on to my arm like, you know, you're not going down. So she's already pretty stressed about this sort of thing. So when it happens, this particular, this is my middle daughter. Uh, she's now 20 at the time this happened. She was 26. And uh, she, she is, she is the type of person who would be a great, a great EMT. Really? Like it happened. Like, oh yeah. She's like, she's, you know, she was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do? She's like, okay, stay right there. You're stable. I'm going to go get dad. I'll be right back. Like, just, you know, just give me 15, 20 minutes and, and we'll be right back, but just stay here. Just, you know, we're going to breathe. Like she's, she's, she's uh, almost calmer in emergency situations than she is at almost any other time. Wow. That's amazing. It really is. Yeah. No, she's, she's amazing. I can relate. Yeah. I'm that person in a true emergency that you want, like the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I'm your girl, but like, sometimes everything, everyday kind of things really stress me out. It's probably more than they yeah. should. Um, one more thing, and then I'll stop harping on your daughters. <laughs> I'm just really fascinated. And, and we, even in the best of times, the best of circumstances, we all go through something in our childhood, you know, even if we had the most amazing parents ever and the most amazing childhood. And what is it like now for your daughters who are all grown to have had a childhood where both parents had cancer and you're continuing to deal with the ramifications of that. What has that been like for them? It's been really hard. It's been really hard for them. There are long-term effects because as much as, I mean, my husband and I have been married for 35 years and what? get like out. We, yeah. yeah. Did you get married yeah. when you were and a teenager? We, I know. Oh my gosh. Can you be my best friend? <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> I just want you to call me every day and be like, well, you look so young. Um, yeah, we're not that young. But, <laughs> but um, like we, I think we are beyond blessed. We we have the the greatest man like i adore him more like Aww. so we we have this wonderful like relationship and marriage and we have you know these wonderful kids but they went through this and you know when you if you think of it this way and this is kind of how i think about it when you like hold your your child at any time like they're suffering in some way they've they've fell down, they broke a bone, they whatever. And you hold them and you're like, it's okay. I'm here. And you kind of do this. Like, I'm here. I got you. I got you. Um, they almost lost both parents because we both were in bad shape. So I think they have, I know they have felt with abandonment, even though we have a very stable home, a loving home. There's never been a, you know, I'm mad, I'm slamming the door and I'm leaving. And oh my gosh, is my mom coming back? There's there's like not that sort of abandonment. Right. It's a different, it's a permanent kind of abandonment where my mom's going to die. My dad's going to die. Like, so there, there are 
and these are their stories to tell. So I'm not going to go into in too deep on it, but it has been kind of a street fight. Even though we both survived, that doesn't mean that it's not still a struggle right. to understand, you know, that some things it, are going to be okay. Yeah. What's the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning? And I'll let you choose your husband's journey or yours. That there are gifts. It's, there's, it's a terrible thing. And it is, you are entering a street fight. Like you, you are going to be beat up. You're going to have bruises, long, you know, lifelong scars, PTSD, like all of it. You're going to have all of that stuff. But the gifts of cancer is something that nobody talks about. And the gifts are great. You know who your people are. Oh God. You know yes. who shows up for you. And you know the ones equal it's an equal gift it's a painful gift at first but my god it is a gift the people in your life who you thought would always be there for you and that you made excuses for when they weren't you know for sure yeah you do that those are not your people and it is supernaturally painful like you go through that you're in that space and you're going oh my gosh oh my gosh like what what is happening? And honestly, for me, it was my parents. What? Made excuses for, yeah, good times. Um, you know, made excuses for them my whole life. Like, and you know, they're, they were both alive at the time. My mom, my mom has since passed, but, you know, made the excuses like, well, if you know the chips were ever down, if, you know, I know they would, I know they'd be here. I know that, you know, they weren't. And it, gave me the freedom i'm gonna say to let go wow and to that's so beautiful release what was not meant for me yeah. and it's only you know when you hold onto something so hard you can't receive what's meant for you so when i let go then i could welcome the people that are meant for me, that are here for me, and that I'm here for them. And I, there was a moment where I, I was in a really low place of treatment. Like I was really sick and I, I didn't think I was going to make it. Like I was, it was bad. And I was going, God, you know, my parents, you know, my mom, I, you know, that cycle in your head about, about what's, what's, what's going on there. And at the same time, I had meals stacked up at my door. I had people taking my kids out. I had, you know, somebody coming and stacking wood at our house, um, my neighbor taking my trash in. And I was like, if I am so focused on what I don't have that I can't see all the gifts, all the beauty, all the magic. Yeah all the belonging, all the, all the love that's being shared with me. Like I got to let, <laughs> so here's my phrase and you may have to bleep me. You have to let that shit go. Oh no, if, that's fine. I'm not going to bleep you. 
if, if somebody is not there for you and you're just carrying it around going, oh my gosh, what did I do? How come they're not here? Like, it's almost like being a, an eighth grade school girl and going, how come he doesn't love me? Right. But like, but now like you're a grown woman and you're going, why? You can't make, can, yeah. why do I? You can't make people Why show am I up. not getting love? Yeah, you can't. From this person. Yeah. But to focus on that, is to dishonor all of the people who are showing up for you, all of the people who do love you, all of the, all the people who are doing all of these incredible things. So it's that I wish I would have known that, but I don't actually think I would have listened. I don't, you don't know until you're in the trenches yeah. what that's, what that's like. Yeah. Anne, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire? I, I think so. <laughs> like, let me warm up. <laughs> You're going to be okay. fine. Ready. Beach. Ready. Beach, desert, or mountains? Um, everything but the desert. Beach. Uh, beach. But a beach, but under a tree. <laughs> white. Very white girl. I know. You can relate. I can't relate. Right? Like- <laughs> beach boys, beetles, or rolling stones? Oh, Beatles. Yeah, Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Uh, humble. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Don't Stop Believing. By Journey? Yeah. Yeah, good song. Good song. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about the last meal you want to eat? Oh, spaghetti. <laughs> the last person or people you want to see? Uh, my family, my husband, my daughters, my granddaughters. I have granddaughters. And the last words you will speak. Yes. Ooh, I like that. I don't think anyone's ever said that before. I like that. Tell us, how can people get in touch with you? Oh, uh, website, mibagents.org. Okay. And all the social media and all that good stuff is there? Oh, my gosh. So much social media. Uh, YouTube. We have a webinar and podcast. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're into podcasts. So uh, yeah, we'll make there's all kinds of resources. Okay. If you didn't already, make sure you send me a link to your podcast. That's good. Okay. We'll do. All right. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your remarkable story and a little bit of your husband's as well. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.